Sir, I have a proposition. We're decent people being driven from our homes. Slaughtered in cold blood. So you seek revenge? I seek righteousness, but I'll take revenge. Took a job looking for some men to join me. Is it difficult? Impossible. Good evening and welcome once again to Hollywood RX. The doctors are in. Those doctors would be myself, Dr. G, and my esteemed colleague, Dr. D. Good evening. Hey, man, how you doing? Uh, good. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm. I'm feeling good. I'm. I feel like as though I am pregnant with the various. Um, versions of magnificent seven as i have consumed many of them in the in the last week the last last week wow well and in the, uh, and in the last 24 hours yeah please. let me let me let me midwife these these thoughts all right um okay so just to be clear from the top i saw magnificent seven open parentheses 2016 close parentheses and uh you haven't made it to that one yet which is just as well I think. Uh, I had a feeling that was gonna be <laughs> no, the case. Well, here's the thing. I think you would have hated it, but um, I, I don't give it a. You know, I might give it a three and a half or four stars. It was entertaining. They were charming, and so on and so forth. But full disclosure, I had not sat through from beginning to end any of the previous incarnations, including the uh, the 1960 Western Hollywood Western version of the Magnificent Seven, nor it, the subsequent three sequels, of which I did not even know their existence. Uh, the Return of the Magnificent Seven, the you know, Guns of the Magnificent Seven, and the Magnificent Seven Ride. Um, and I hadn't seen the Kurosawa before either. So this is my first experience with it. I had a general idea of what it was. Um, wow. Having seen you three... were a Mag Seven virgin, <laughs> yes. as it were. Well, having seen Three Amigos, I uh, <laughs> I had a pretty good idea of how it was. Uh... <laughs> no, no, I didn't say Min Three. <laughs> said Mag Seven. All right. Uh, so uh, listen, I I love me some Denzel Washington. I enjoy his. Do you know? Yes, I enjoy his work, particularly in actiony type stuff. Not so much when he's righteous or self-righteous and uh teaching somebody a lesson or uh standing up for uh you know something in a in a court of law or whatever but i sure do like him when he is uh when he's uh, holding a gun um wow I, I, okay. I, yeah he's a listen he's a good actor. in this day and age you know it takes a lot of courage oh no <laughs> Uh, oh boy! All right, so here we're already started. Um, dot dot dot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I'm a fan of Chris Pratt. Uh, I think he can be extremely charming as well, and uh, and he he brought plenty of that charm with him to this installation. Uh, installation? That's not the right word. But in any case, um, so installment. Installment. Thank you. All in all, uh, I thought it was a lot of a lot of fun even though it, it was, didn't have a lot of substance to it, uh, this current well, you know, uh, some, of our, some of our listeners may not realize, but uh, the subject of Mag7 has come up 
on this show before. Yes. Because when we uh, we did some trailer trash talking, and uh, I, 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 I. I dug my heels in the sand at that trailer and said, there is no way in hell I'm going to see this movie. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of Westerns to begin with, and it looked way too rebooty yeah. for my taste. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm getting off of you, is like, it was fun in it sort of a visceral Western kind of way. But So let me ask you this. Yes. So you hadn't had any experience with Magnificent Seven? No. Uh, other uh, than passing... Samurai, but what... A pa passing, you know, seeing bits and pieces maybe on TV of the Western. The okay. So, so my question to you is, what's, what's your relationship with the Western in general, with the genre? Um, I would say that um, I have seen... Um, I am not uh, thoroughly versed in... In westerns, there's, I've seen a few. There's one in particular that sort of comes to mind as one of my favorites, which I think might get me into trouble with you. Um, uh, setting aside Blazing Saddles, which I think we we you know touched on a little bit last week, um, sure. and which arguably belongs in, uh, you know, I think we're really talking about serious type westerns. Yes. Um, yes. So of the sort of classic John Ford, you know, Sturgis, whatever it is. Or, you know, uh, Sierra Madre, those things, I am uh, woefully ignorant and should and want to catch up on those. Um, so I just have a general affinity for it without having a great, um, without being steeped in it. Does that answer hmm. the question? Sure, yeah. Now, what's the one Western that you, uh, that, that you have a deep affinity for? <laughs> I didn't think we were going to start here, but uh, 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 Unforgiven. Unforgiven by uh, oh. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, that's that's. I'm I'm sure in the world of many, that is a that is a very respectable choice. Well, listen. Uh, when I first moved out here, you know, it was the year essentially I think that Unforgiven came out, and I ended up in one of those. I think you mentioned last time one of those. Uh, Hooked into one of the organizations that does screenings and collects uh, you oh, know, yeah, feedback. Sure. Yeah, the market research. So uh, I saw it five or, five or six times standing in the back of the theater. As I wasn't handing out the flyers, I was in attendance at the theater handing out the questionnaires and, and being a... You follow what I'm saying? Oh, okay. You weren't an invited audience member. No, I was, just... I was working the, the screening itself. So I oh, saw wow. it, I saw it quite a few times, Oof. and and so it certainly sticks uh, in my memory uh, with regards to that. And I just generally dug it, but I could I couldn't stand here and defend it, you know, scene by scene with you. And there are certainly parts of it I think are just nonsense, um, as I recall. But to, uh, enlighten me. What what should my answer have been? <laughs> No, 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 there's you know, no right I, I never saw the searchers. No, 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 no. I never, I you know. No, I was just surprised. As <laughs> I tried to warn you. Well, no, 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 no. I was expecting you to. I was expecting you to reach back and and come up with something like support your local sheriff. Something oh! <laughs> or, well, yes, yes to that. Jovial and you okay. know. 
I was taking off the table those those more lighthearted romps, but absolutely. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's your... right. That's right. Hey. Okay. Well, no, 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 I have to think because it's got to be like a hmm. There's got to be a western ar- around like fathers and sons, brothers. <laughs> I know the themes that work for you, Adam Dooley. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's got James Garner. So you're absolutely right. Uh, support your local sheriff and support your local gunfighter. Yeah. Uh, both of those are are hot, are close to my heart. Without actually, I, I wouldn't say, hey, those are westerns. I really wouldn't put them in that category. I guess they are, but I don't feel like they qualify. <laughs> so, how about you? What's your history or your background with westerns? What do you? Um, I I I have to confess, I'm 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 almost an anti-western guy. I'm real. I. Even when I was a little kid, I don't know, I just never got into, like, the whole hats and gun belts <laughs> and boots, like, all that Western shit, just, like, I don't know, man. It's probably, you know, growing up in New York City, I didn't have time for that. Okay, uh, all right. It's country you know. <laughs> I don't know. And I never liked John Wayne. Never, never, wow. ever cared for I don't Wayne. particularly like it, didn't like him either, but I think the genre went way beyond him. Oh, it did. It did. But unfortunately, I think he cemented its quote unquote tradition of having, you know, these very imperialist racist overtones. And that that's that's my problem with a lot of Westerns. Okay. Yeah. And this and that's I mean, that's sort of like the conundrum is, you know, you're a little kid, you know, you watch these things and, you know, you're raised to believe, hey, the Indians are bad, you know, and then you become an adult, you look at the world with sane glasses and you realize hey they were defending their homes we're the bad guys yes yes so i don't know it just it just sort of takes just sort of taints you know things a little bit for me now that said there's a small handful of westerns that get by for me do that, tell do tell um one not a very uh, imaginative choice would be the searchers the searchers is a great that's a terrific movie that's a terrific western um, there's a there's a lesser known <coughs> western from the 50s uh, by a director named Sam Fuller called 40 Guns which is amazing mm. uh, it is a subversive little western I, I like it I recognize the name Sam Fuller what else might I know from him from because I don't know that one um, let's well, he's probably most well known for he was a he was a kind of a mavericky independent director in the fifties and sixties when you didn't really have independent mainstream filmmakers. He used to be a newspaper man and started writing screenplays and then took to writing movies. And he wrote a, he did a handful of westerns. He did a number of war movies. Um, his Oh boy, boy! His most famous, one of his most famous movies is a little film noir called Pick Up on South Street. I, I know um, that. I know that title as well. I just don't know the film itself. One of his more well-known titles is The Big Red One. Oh yes. Oh, okay. Yes. And that's probably. I was going to say that's probably yeah. what you know. Before. That's what okay. I'm now. I'm with you. Um, uh, but let's see. There's a. Uh, yeah, Walter Hill made a movie uh, called The Long Riders in 1979. Yes, with all the brothers. Uh, it's all brothers. I know, isn't that crazy? You got the Keeches, the Carradines, and the Quades <laughs> playing 
the playing brothers, playing right. the James, the Youngers. I mean, and it works. It, yes. it's, it's it's really well. It's a well done western. Beyond that, I can't really I can't really name any off the top of my head. I don't even like the Sergio Leone stuff. I don't the ugly, Once upon a time in the West. Those are those are like unwatchable for me. I agree with uh, you. They're unbearable. So yeah, I I I knew right away I was I that I was I had no interest in seeing this. And especially given the revisionist uh tones. Well listen that I listen in the theater. Hang on a second. Uh, trailer, rather. Trailer. I think you may have uh, turned your back on it too soon because it is a Benetton ad, not one of these big balls of racism. <laughs> they, huh? They don't bother. What you talking about, Willis? They don't bother setting it in Mexico. It's set in the U.S., and the victims are just white people. They're dumb white people. They're not dumb Mexicans. <laughs> And, Interesting. And the the uh, the band of brothers, the seven, is is much more diverse than it's ever been. Yes, is that an accurate reflection of the times? Well, listen. Now, hang on. A, hold on a second. You can't have it both ways. You can't say what? no, 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 no. You go. Oh, these movies were celebrating. Uh, we're like putting the racism and so on and so forth. But then turn around and go. Now it needs to be a, a representative oh, of the okay. times. The sorry, racism. Sorry, sorry. The racism no, 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 you were no. enjoying was representative I, of the times. Okay. Okay. All uh, right. You know right. what I mean. You know what I mean. I'm. I'm. I'm pretending okay. that I care. Okay. Um, Calm down, Senator. <laughs> what I meant was. Yes. Historically accurate. I not, see what you not mean. not necessarily faithful to the conventions of the genre. Right. No, I wasn't no, looking no. for and, jingoistic. No, I didn't even Western. mean I didn't even mean it that way. It <clears throat> seemed earlier that you were sort of complaining that the John Wayne movies had this racism in it that then became kind of accepted and became the underlying thing. But the racism in those movies, the John Wayne movies, was not only emblematic of the time that they were made, it was probably also emblematic of the time in which the stories were set. Because I can't imagine that Indians were thought of in a better way in the 1850s than they were in the 1950s when those movies were being made. No, that is true. Um, that is true. And However, so you can't hold this one. If this one is going to be true to the... Uh, the times, it's going to be filled with racism. Okay, okay. <laughs> let, me, let, let me go back and rephrase. Because no, it's okay. I, I, this, is not, this is not going down the road it should have gone. I'm, I'm um, having fun with the semantics of it, but go on. Okay, okay. No, all I meant was that... Um, I can't say. I know what you mean. I don't, th I d I don't think that back in the time period when this movie's taking place, yes. whatever it is... I'd be willing to bet there's not a lot of uh, accounts of a racially diverse posse. posse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is like it's like the Star Trek Enterprise of of Western posses. I have a feeling that you are very close to truth there, and that in fact it would be I would be stunned if there was. Not just sort of like really racially diverse, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't 
white in every single posse, with That's... the exception of maybe one guy to do the tracking or the cooking or the cleaning or whatever. Um, and that guy might have been uh, a different color. There's got to have, there, there has to have been a, a movie about, like a, a serious movie about, you know, like the lone black cowboy. Well, there certainly, there certainly were lone black cowboys. We're talking about putting them into a group with an Indian and a and a Spaniard and a you know a Polak and you know uh, you know mixing it up that way. But um, <laughs> I was going to say, is one of them Irish too? Did they cover that? Is one Chinese? Because he just no, there was a Chi- on the railroads. Or I, I believe there was no. a Chinese uh, man in there, as you make the joke. Um, but there have been. I mean, Morgan Freeman has. You apparently... believe? I thought you saw it. No, no, no. Well, I, listen. I don't want to get any letters for having been racist for having assumed that actor was Chinese when he could have been any number of Oriental oh, extractions. Okay, okay, I get you. I get you. That's all I'm okay, saying. Okay, yes. I always said Chinese. Okay, just for the record, folks, I always said Chinese because in the late 19th century, most Chinese immigrants were working on the railroads. And I only said Oriental to try and get a rise out of my partner. Um, I know that that's inappropriate. So, in any case, uh, and my apologies to anyone I offended in doing in doing late. so. It's too late. That's right. They're already they're already writing a sternly worded letter. You know what? They chose knocking on your door right now. I would <laughs> I would accept a sternly worded letter saying that they're no longer going to listen to the show as a thumbs up that we got some kind of fan mail response. Even if it I was would take that as a us. thumbs up because it would be it would somehow prove that someone's actually listening exactly. to the show. Exactly. Oh, you have to listen God. to it to stop listening. <laughs> Dear sirs, I am not going to start listening to your show. Something you said offended me. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, I, we were headed somewhere what I with heard, all that. But didn't actually, here. Right. Uh, so in any case, it is sort of uh, diverse in the. Uh, in the area of, um, oh, I know what I was saying. Morgan Freeman has tried for years to get a story uh, uh, of a, a particular uh, black cowboy told. Unfortunately, I don't remember the name of the guy. Um, and has been unsuccessful in doing so. But now I think maybe there's talk about resurrecting it with some other actor. See, now, and I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Django Unchained, but I feel like at least it addressed in the story the how unusual it was to have a freed black man looking like a cowboy yeah it situations were at the time everyone was you know he would have been white so yeah yeah and you know what for all the um for all the grousing i might have done about django unchained i don't think i did because we weren't doing the show yet i rather like that film i rather enjoy it even though even though quentin tarantino was involved and I have lots of complaints about him that have been well documented here. Um, and elsewhere. And elsewhere. So I like the cast here. Oh, my God. Vincent D'Onofrio. I loved him in this. Just a bear of a man who, you know, just has a, you know, takes a bite out of life and fights with his entire body. And I just really loved him. I thought he was great. And he did this very strange thing with his voice that was yeah, I listened to it for about 10 seconds. I said, you know what? I'm going to like this performance despite the what he's doing. It was this kind of sort of high, fluty little... I think he was just trying to do a... Here's a burly guy with a high-pitched voice. Was he the gay cowboy? <laughs> you said, it was, uh, you said so. it was diverse and mixed, so... 
Uh, yes, right. He was the bear. So, yeah, he was the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, uh, so he was, he was terrific, certainly. Um, and um, I'm trying to remember who else I liked in it. But so they, you know, they're very good at set pieces now. They know kind of how to do these things. So you, you know, you have your little opening skirmish and then you have the introduction of this character and it's a cool little set piece. And then you, he meets the next guy. And so you had a series right. of those going together until they get to the town that they're going to be protecting. And then you have the kind of, <clears throat> by then you have the kind of, uh, They've put together the team, but now they have to get the rest of the people ready, you know. And so you have that sequence. Because like then, the Expendables. <laughs> sure. I, I'm sorry. I'm not as up on the Expendables, but that's probably true. I don't think the Expendables spend any time training a bunch of uh, uh, poor farmers how to <clears throat> fight, though, did they? Is that what's going on here? Yeah. Did they, did they, is that element here in the new one? Uh, poor farmers. Yeah, let's just say that it's farmers. I mean, it's you don't see a lot of farming going on. It's more like you see shots in the little town and the main street. But it is a little town. Um, it is a little village, as is historically the case. Um, it seems a little bit more modern. You know, there's the other ones... The other villages that were protected in incarnations of the story were much more downtrodden than this particular village. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, they were lower middle class. This is, you know, we're lower, lower class. This is lower middle class. Um, but everyone's teeth still looks good. So <laughs> we didn't have a lot of 1860 uh, uh, dentistry going on in this, in this town. It was all very modern dentistry. Uh, except probably for the, uh, with the exception of Vincent D'Onofrio, probably. Who, who might have had a mouthful of uh, teeth that couldn't agree which way to point. He, that's the feeling that you get from his, uh, his thing. Interesting. Well since, you, well, well, since you said farmer, now that, that's a beautiful segue into what I was looking forward to most in this show. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's go to the source. Oh, no. Let's tap this wellspring, the original story upon which the Magnificent, the Magnificent Seven the original 1960 movie was based, and that, of course, is The Seven Samurai, which you just, you are hours fresh, aren't you? Yes, uh, it is it is an <clears throat> epic. You were deflowered, you're still wet, you're yes. not even yet, you oh, dried Jesus off. Jesus Christ. I want to hear it all. <clears throat> well, um, it took me, it took me a very long time to sort of get into this movie to really settle in and really get behind it. I would say that it took somewhere in the neighborhood of an hour and a half. Fortunately, at that point, there were still it another is, two still it, another two hours for me to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it is a long, long picture, particularly when you've I've, been seeing that story several times beforehand because... All of these versions share a lot of the bare bones of that uh, uh, sure. Kur Kurosawa <clears throat> original. So, um, <clears throat> I, I didn't start to feel like it was a masterpiece or anything close to a masterpiece until deep into the last hour. 
or in the you know, last hour. It, it it it's a it's kind of unfortunate in a way. The the uncut version is not what I would recommend be someone's introduction to it. Hang on a second. I watched the I watched the uncut version. I mean, I watched the. Oh, yes. you're saying I yes. should I should the watch three and a half hour version you saw. Okay. Yes, that that's the right. that is the restored uncut version. I believe when it originally came out, it was an hour shorter, maybe a little more than an oh, hour. It deserves the name okay. epic. It is a long. Okay. The uncut version is a long one to get through. Okay, so when people go, this is a masterpiece. Are they talking about that ninety minute? Or uh, two and a half hour, not even ninety minute, two yeah. and a half hour yeah, it, version. Yeah, no, 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 no. It, it, oh. its, its reputation was cemented as a shorter film. It wasn't until the, I believe, the mid to late eighties that they restored it to full length. Okay, okay, I understand now, because um, I was reading about it and heard that the so, student. But, but but you 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 get you get a hearty you get a hearty pat on the back from me for. <laughs> Well, I hate to think that there's another version out there that I have to go and watch, but I may at some point do that. To me, Seven Samurai is a beautiful. It, it, it's be- photographically beautiful. I think it's 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 one of the most beautiful black and white movies of the 20th century. It was. And there are some moments in there that are poetry. Um, the. The early on, you may recall there's the uh, the slow motion fall to the ground of that one guy who killed in a duel. Um, yeah, a scene that has stuck with me since I saw it in my teens was uh, it's that image of the, the the poor farmer picking up the individual grains of rice from that wooden floor. Yeah, because every grain of rice is like you know can't be like no grain can be wasted um the there's also the scene where the younger samurai is is hiding in this bed of flowers and you just see the flowers quivering mm-hmm. to show his fear and there are just so many wonderful moments in it and for everything i just said before about it's three and a half hour running time i i think it there's something to be said for small scale stories that take that unfold over a substantial running time because at least for me i feel more connected with the people involved i mean for all the 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 occasional hamminess of the acting and whatnot you know when a couple of those guys get killed it's like you you yes, you kind of yes. feel it you know so i and this is really i guess you know the value of this conversation for me is because i want to hear if you feel in any way like either the 1960 version or the current version are in any way on a par with what the original conveys, assuming it did convey that for you, right, or if they're just right. strictly just, you know, <clears throat> horse and guns action. Is there a Gatling gun in that movie? There's something where I was just like, I don't think that existed back then. Um, I believe that it it existed, but not at the glorious level at which they display it probably didn't have the they probably didn't have the access to high-powered assault weapons that we have today um well i mean that it would have been the peak of i believe that uh, gatling guns did exist in in and around that time i saw something else where they were uh they were featured Um, i I, I know i threw a lot at you there but 
Right, um, and then you sidetracked me just at the end with the Gatling gun. Um, all right, so I'm still processing the fact that if I had looked around, I could have found something that was an hour, hour shorter that was better because I had to keep fighting um, my dissatisfaction going, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? I'm, you know, everyone else loves this, and I, I'm so tired of being the guy who hates everything that it's something that everyone else loves. So I had a a lot of trouble getting used to the stylistic difference in the acting, but not just the, not just the stylistic difference, but not everyone seemed to be using the same style. So even within, even within the thing itself, I saw scenes played out that were very, that appeared very Western to me as in the Western part of the world as the Western world. Yes. And, and then, and then, you know, uh, I'm not going to remember any of those well, names, but um, who, who's the seventh? Who who is the actor? The 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 the, the misfit, the mock yes, top. Yes, that's uh, well. The actor's name is Tashira Mafune. Tashira, I Mifune. can't remember okay. the character's name. That's fine. No, 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 the character's name was it was kind of a joke anyway. Um, within the context of the film, he was sort of nameless, and they called yeah. him that that other name. Um, right, right. His he was not. I enjoyed him. But he did not seem to be in the same movie that everyone else was in. Um, his acting style is radically different from such, everyone else. In the such movie. was yes. his acting that I went, okay, if he lives in the world they live in, he's insane. He's absolutely out of his mind. And why would they trust him with anything? Um, so, uh, and by then he was already a pretty well established actor. And um, so it seems very odd. But um, so I it had is, to make the, the, I had some to of make, the acting is is, is yeah. broad. I will give yeah. you that. And like the guy, oh, what was his name? T O H E I Tohei Tohei. I don't know. Yohei. Yohei. Thank you. Um, that guy. Yeah. He had such an incredible. He could do that sad thing with his mouth where he spread his lips really wide and then could and turn then them down, down or turn them up. But even when he turned them up, you could still see the downness of it all. But I know. his face was incredible. And I started to recognize both in... Um, I'm never going to remember that actor's name. Mifune. But the, yeah, Mifune. Um, in his performance, very specifically in his performance, and in the face of that other actor, I started to see... I have a 15-year-old son who's very into anime. And I started to see and I started to recognize a lot of those expressions... And and physical behaviors from those characters in in that particular movie as being um, maybe iconic, and I was I, so I wasn't sure if were those typical sort of Japanese poses or behaviors. Yeah, I or or or, or were uh, they original to those not, actors? Not characters, but but types. Yes. Sort of. Yeah, and and I think that's actually part of um, that's part of. The Seven Samurais. Part of it is its placement in in Japanese movie history, yes. because at that point, radicalism and and experimenting and things like that hadn't really. That was about ten years off, so Japanese popular Japanese cinema was very soap opera-y. So there's some acting style in Seven Samurai that's sort of 
in it's very congruent with the flavor of the times. Gotcha. But gotcha. Okay. Um, um, and, and I didn't mean to get bogged down in that. I will say, based on what you no, were, just that you're talking about the film in its cultural context, I, I just stumbled across a note that was interesting to me that it, that was the same year, same studio that was making Godzilla. Godzilla, that's correct. So, Total. I mean, just to see those two things coming out at once, you go, oh, yeah, I see. This guy's a genius compared to what was going on over here. Um, well, 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 well uh, just the studio, buddy. Kurosawa had nothing to do with Godzilla. <laughs> No, no, no. I understand he didn't have anything to do with Godzilla, but what I'm saying is if his compatriots are producing Godzilla, no wonder he comes off as a genius. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. It, because... it wasn't like he had a Marty Scorsese to go up against or, a, you know, or a, a Truffaut. He was going up against Godzilla. And so I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm just saying that... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, Although that it... the samurai storyline... Stories involving samurai are hundreds of years old. Ancient. Yes, absolutely. No, yep. no, no. Nope. Understood. Um, so that was some of my the early stuff that I had going on with it was just sort of trying to get my sea legs there, and then um, something. Uh, I, I must admit, I started I started double screening while it was on. Because Double screening? I don't know what that means. That means I had my phone open and I was researching what I was looking at. Because I was so disconnected from it, I said, what's going yeah. wrong here? Now, if, he's gonna, if they all go, let's see the old man, right? And then they're going to go through four or five different shots of that group of eight people walking across different parts of their yard. I got time on my hands. And so... I'm like, all right, what's going on here? So with a little bit of reading for more context for myself and just sort of opening up my mind in kind of a different way, I started to think about, and this leads into your question that you asked, um, I started to think about, well, I understand this isn't based on a true story. It's based on a culture and a, a, a system of honors and traditions and so on and so forth. Um, that even the acting has like uh, a pedigree that it has a heritage some of the styles that i'm seeing in here and so i'm, I'm just getting okay this is all i'm just getting a like a different culture overload in a sense not in a bad way but just going it's stuffed with culture and depth and um kind of morality or whatever and then i was starting to go, okay, so what happened? When they said, hey, this is a good story, and it is a good story, like the thread of the story is a good story, let's make a Western out of it, great. But what happened to the culture and the honor and the sense of tradition and the morality and a bunch of other stuff? Because when it becomes the 1960 version, it lets most of that go. Yeah. They're protecting uh, some, uh, it's a group of essentially American gunslingers protecting a small village in Mexico. From Mexican? From Mexican uh, invaders. But the main Mexican invader is played by Eli Wallach. Not the most Mexican of fellows. <laughs> so, despite the spray on tan. So, oh. 
So it kind of undercuts the sense of Mexicality. And in fact, most of, <laughs> most of, yeah, most of that uh, supporting group, or if they had dialogue or whatever, didn't, didn't read like they were natives of the country. <clears throat> they read like they were, you know, right. uh, had been hired, you know, the way uh, Mel Brooks can play an Indian. You want you know what are probably um, two of the most embarrassing portrayals of non-white culture. Well, I think I know one of them. Yeah, yeah, Mickey Rooney. No, oh, in Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> Tiffany's. That's uh, that is way <laughs> up there. That's way up there. Right. Um, <clears throat> that should be that should be vaulted to the number one spot, if only because of its popularity. Right. But what and were in you going to say? This humble reviewer's opinion. Yes. Probably one of the most overrated films of all time. Ooh, yeah, I don't particularly. Bubble go, but that's <laughs> that's for another day. Yes, I can hear people um, canceling no, their subscriptions I was, no, now. I was going. To, I was going to mention. Um, <clears throat> well, our good friend John Wayne. Uh oh. Who. Believe it or not, was contracted to play. Wait for it. I think I know. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Yes. In the Conqueror. In the Conqueror. And uh, the other is uh, our good old friend Marlon Brando. That was what I was going to say next. Was it really? Yeah. In in I don't know Tea House of the August Moon or what's it called? Oh man! If you make it through that with a straight <laughs> face, you. <laughs> You've oh got, some, got some chops. Yeah, well, I think Mickey Rooney gives them a run for their money, but he's only in it as uh, a sporadically supporting. supporting and I think as comic relief. I mean, yeah. or a new category, horrifyingly comic relief. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, no, there's no such thing in Tea House of August Moon. The movie starts with Marlon Brando talking to the camera. Right. As that guy, <laughs> like, you can't escape it. Yeah. <laughs> You realize within five minutes, like, oh, oh this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, um, <clears throat> so uh, I don't feel like in, in the 1960s version, they really. Um, see, I think there's a, there's a you can look at like the what we would consider a knight, you know, somebody who in service of queen and country or whatever, and you could compare them to a samurai. Uh, in some ways, they're warriors, they have a Correct. sense of honor, they're committed to something, so on and so forth. Um, you could even make the case with soldiers. And they service nobility, which is what's right. common to both of them. But gunslingers are not known for their morality. No, quite the and, opposite. And, and for their code. So there's something interesting to be found there. But I'm shocked that you could get seven of them, even arguably six of them, in a room who all went, yeah, sure. You know, uh, let's do it. Let's do it for the right reasons. Because clearly, did, did it take a lot of convincing? Well, here's the thing. Was there, were there a lot of convincing? It wasn't scenes? just. It, <laughs> yeah, sort of. It wasn't just room and board. Uh, which is essentially what it was in uh, the Kurosawa version. Uh, there was twenty dollars at the end of a six-week, uh, you know, service. So you were making, mm. you know, six dollars or whatever it was. No, not even. You were making four and a half dollars a week uh, for your for your troubles. Um, plus, a bonus for any kills? <laughs> no, none of that. Just so. 
Um, How I, many Marauders, by the way, in this one, in the new one? Well, I'm still on the... Oh, I did want to go back to the Kurosawa. I kind of okay. did dig. I liked it, and I didn't like it at the same time, but... The little the little chart they had to the circles and it kept crossing off the yeah, X's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's in the long version. And I got a little more of it than I needed there to be uh, in this one, but I thought that was interesting. And the other thing I really liked about it was they there was some gunplay. Not that I love the gunplay, but um, it did allow for the fact that the four the four samurai that die in the in the in uh, seven samurai do not die in hand to hand combat. They're shot. Yeah. Because they otherwise would not have been beatable. Right. So I kind of like that element. Um, <clears throat> but I also just like the idea that, and I could see this coming as I was sitting there and watching it and comparing to these other ones I'd been, I, that I had seen, is that no matter how many farmers with rakes or, or bamboo sticks or spears or whatever it is you have with you, for this group to kill that group hand-to-hand, that's a lot of fighting. That's a lot of being close to another human being and stabbing or, you know, cutting or hacking or slack that that the that the intimacy right. when and it's the, not second nature and the and yeah. And that the well, yes, but also that it's the primalness of it. Like when those when those farmers would go after like a wounded guy, I, I had trouble feeling like I was cheering for them. I suddenly felt like I was in Lord of the Flies. You know, it it, it, it sort of didn't make me go yay hooray for them or whatever but in any case yeah no, um, there's that scene where they let the widow have her turn right right, right. with the rake and, <laughs> and so for some i don't know i don't know how that played back in the day but that that's not a like yeah you're not you're not cheering and you're you right know, you're not standing up and cheering at but that point because you don't have guns to sort of get it over with um more quickly and so on and so forth it, you really earn that victory, whether you're uh, the, one of the samurai or one of the farmers. You were in it in a way that I feel like guns separates. Or what happens with guns is now you have to amp everything up in order right. to in order to maintain <clears throat> that same level of whatever. And I would say that this 1960 version didn't really clearly specify how many there were. There were just a lot. Hmm. Um, but um, the new one, I think it's, I think they basically just come out and say like 200, 200, oh men, 200 men on horses. Um, so there's this giant orgy of a battle there, which anyone listening, I hope, has already seen. And then when that battle is over, that's when the Gatling gun comes out, which makes absolutely no sense on a strategic level. If you have a gun that has the ability to take out a vast number of your opponents, don't sacrifice why would you your, wait? Why why sacrifice your army when it can shoot through the buildings there? Those bullets were going straight through everything and were taking people out. So use that first and then send your guys in in the confusion in the aftermath afterwards. In fact, send them in as a flank and you can continue shooting in the middle. See, uh, it, it, now, made, it made no strategic sense whatsoever. Now, I don't know if, if, if you feel this way or not, but part of, what, uh, part of what endears Seven Samurai to me, part of its power, is that, that primalness that you talked about. By the yeah. time the battle gets going, in that last hour and a half, 
like you're 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 hanging on every every step, every slash, every yeah. jab. You know, it's it, you know for for the pacing up until then. I I would assume yeah. that that's where most of the edits took place, and in shortening it. Yeah, but you know, by the time the battle's playing out, wait a like, minute, not you're in the, hanging on it, not in the first two and a half hours. You don't think they they cut out some of those scenes where people were walking from one place to yeah. another? Oh no no no! I'm saying I'm saying okay. that's probably where no the first half is probably where most oh, of the I edits see. took yeah, yeah. place. Gotcha. Oh no, I, 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 it has to be. It has to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you could make a, you could cut out thirty minutes of that and not touch character development. Forget that's story. Correct. Story's completely intact. You wouldn't yeah, even no, be no, touching character development. No, um, that's probably. So I mean, I read that the first draft of this was five hundred pages long, which means that, that's crazy. That's uh, because crazy. Uh, um, Kurosawa uh, said to the screenwriter. You you do a free, you have a free draft. Just make it whatever you want. Like oh, you mean the Kurosawa version? Was the current yeah, the, the Kurosawa version. He uh, basically just okay. They, I thought they you did, meant the new one. The they, first draft. No, 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 no. They did all their months of research and they figured out what their basic thing was. And then the guy was like, "Just go do it. There aren't restrictions." And they ended up with 500 pages. Then they locked themselves in a room for three months. Um, a process by which uh, Kurosawa ended up in the hospital. They were doing. They were editing that thing down, and they managed to bring it down to the much more manageable 250 shooting pages that they actually used to make the stupid movie. So they cut out half of that 500. So that was really big of them. But in any case, um, <laughs> still a hugely long thing. But um, oh, there's so many things popping around in my head. So. Where was I? I was talking a little bit about the Gatling gun. No, I just wanted to say this thing that, that bothers me. So the the they send in the 200 men, and it's a huge bloodbath. And even if 200 of those guys die, or 170 of them die, or whatever it is, 180, there's still a great loss of life on the other side uh, for the villagers. And then they take out the Gatling gun, but there's... At this point, they pretty much are hidden. So those guys can shoot the Gatling gun all day long. They're really not going to increase their... It's not going to really uh, raise the death count on the villager side uh, significantly. And that's when one of our heroes then makes a daring attempt to go take out the Gatling gun. And I'm like, why bother? Uh, it's really not... It's at this point... The, the fighting is almost essentially over. It just felt, it felt very stupid to have a character sacrifice himself to take out the Gatling gun when it just all, the, the sort of, and this comes to this point of like the ba battle logic where in Seven Samurai, you saw there, this is what we're going to do to defend ourselves. And this is how it's going to work. And this is why it's going to work. That when they attack us on this side, they won't get in. When they attack us on that side, that side. The only thing they'll be left with is this other side, and that's exactly what we want them to do. Um, and they explain it because they're explaining it to the villagers. They're also explaining it to us. And then we get to watch it go right, and we get to watch it go wrong. But we understand it. Um, and the actions of, of, the, of the marauders make sense. Not so... <laughs> In sort of either of the other two movies, but certainly the most recent one, mm. is it's just I don't understand his his military approach at all. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
and and it just all it just seemed like a lot of nonsense. And it's all just shooting, 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 and you don't know who's where and who's what, and you just don't really know what's going mm. on, which is how they sort of often shoot action these days in this kind of. It, it's just right. all sort of, and so you see good guys get shot, and you see bad guys get shot, but you don't really know where people are in relation to anything else or what the fucking plan is. Pardon my French. Um, and so that was one thing I really did appreciate about uh, is that Seven Samurai. yeah, Seven Samurai that it was ex- that it was explained, but contextually the explanation was required and it made sense. It didn't play as exposition; it played as plot. In that this is the scene where they teach the villagers how they're going to defend the thing, you know. Right. Um, instead of them digging trenches that you don't know why they dug them and everything else, I have to believe, I have to believe that that there were horses that broke their legs in that battle scene. Oh, I, really? In, in in Seven Samurai, I can't imagine oh, all in that. Seven Samurai, all yeah, that okay, spinning yeah. in the mud. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, you're talking. You're talking 1950s Japan. Yeah, exactly. I have a feeling, yeah, they. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so I tried. I, I just grit my teeth and, and watched that. And I had read a little well, thing that you said. Look at any, well, you look at any of the old John Ford movies, and you you uh, <laughs> you, you <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of yeah tumbles and whatnot right, that right. the horses are put through there. Right. I understand. Um, oh, there's so many different things popping in my head because the, the, um, I think that the the current one is the most fun of all of them. If that's okay. what you're looking for, if you're looking for that story and to have fun with it, that's the one to go. I think the two and a half hour uh, Seven Samurai is probably the most satisfying version based on my fantasy of what would have been cut out, and uh, and the one in the middle is is kind of in the middle. There's a little bit of fun, there's a little bit of uh, drama, but it has no, there's no care, real character development or you don't get a sense of connection between anybody really um, hmm. in any of these. You know, even when they, they're supposed to know each other. And the two subsequent ones are fairly faithful in the way they collect the samurai. Oh, this is the scene where uh, one guy is challenging a samurai to a fight and they're using wooden right. sticks. But And that's, the, it's, there's James Coburn scene where he's, bringing a knife to a gunfight. He's throwing a knife and the other guy is shooting the gun and they're kind of doing it as a, as a side-by-side test. And when Coburn insists he won, the other guy pushes it until it's a, a lethal scenario and then he, he really does win um, by, throwing, by throwing the knife. So they're almost, in some cases, beat for beat translated pretty neatly into this other context. Are the are the are the 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 two sequels uh, from the sixties? They don't involve the same characters. Is it uh, still like a like rounding people up from zero? My understanding, just from the reading I've done in the last uh, day since I saw the nineteen sixty version, there are three sequels. The first one, there were survivors at the end of the first movie, of the right. first nineteen sixty version, and they are, mm-hmm. I think, almost in a way the same three survivors. Uh, sort of. Uh, it would be Yul Brenner. Three, same three. Uh, the the analog of the actors from one to the next. The oh, okay. So actor. so so they're 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 counted. The Japanese counterparts. counterparts. You're saying it's the same characters who I, live. Okay. I, I think so. I could be wrong about the third one, but definitely Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen survive. And I think the third one 
would have been the Mufishuso uh, guy. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's me mangling that actor's name, by the way. Mufune. Thank you. Um, so, Mufune, I, it, it, it is not always exactly clear like who equates to who. And right. it feels like one character has been, you know, amalgamated somehow and, and, and fits multiple parts. But in any case, in the sequel, Yul Brenner did the sequel. No one else from the first movie did. And by the third and fourth movies, they were just getting anybody they could. The third movie, they, were, they had George Papard, I think, playing the Yul Brenner part. Oh, which makes me laugh so much. Um, because the character name was the same. Seen George Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, that. right. Well, it might have been George Kennedy. I can't even remember. I think it was George Kennedy. In any case, uh, you'd know if it was Patron, Patroni. I don't know. <laughs> um, but Patroni the, was his character's name in the airport in the, movies. Got you. No, I got you. Um, but the fourth one is just straight out nothing to do with any anything that came before, mm. as far as I can tell, uh, characters or otherwise. Um, I could be wrong, but um, they certainly stepped down in, you know, you have B movies and C movies, and it's, it was well deep into the alphabet by the time they got to the last one, um, which was 1972 or 73. Oh, was that late? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Well, the sequel, all... the sequel was 1976. The second um, American Western set magnificent mm. movie was in 76, then there was a 70, uh, sorry, 66, 69, 73, something like that. Um, wow. So those were certainly uh, diminishing returns there. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Let me see. <laughs> okay. At the end sure? of, at, at, yeah, at the end of both of the American versions, Mm -hmm. um, you have three surviving heroes um, essentially riding off into the sunset. Literally in the most recent one, they're riding off into the distance whether the sun is setting or not. It's that kind of thing. And in the, in the, the 1960s one, I think it's them departing the town. I can't remember exactly, but essentially riding off. And, and you're supposed to feel certainly in this most recent one, good. Literally, in the three-and-a-half-hour version, the last lines are, uh, paraphrasing, the first samurai says this is the second samurai, well, we lost this one. And the other guy goes, what? And he goes, this is clearly their victory, not ours, referring to the villagers. Of the villagers, yeah. yeah. And then, Beautiful. and then that very last shot is this is is the two of them, I think, but specifically the four graves on top of the hill. The third living samurai having gone to chase skirt or something at that moment. I don't really remember. Probably, yeah. I don't know why they needed to take him out of it so that you don't end with seven, you end with six. But in any case, um, that idea of well, we lost, even in winning, we lost is so diametrically opposed from the, the Americanized version as to make me go, because I don't want to be one of those guys who goes, well, you know, it was originally it was a Japanese film made by Akira Kurosawa. Um, these... Oh, you mean me. Okay, well, yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. imitating no, you necessarily. Yeah. I don't want to be but... me either. No, no, no. no. <laughs> 
I wasn't. I didn't mean you specifically, but I definitely don't want to. Be, I don't want to become one of those guys. But I mean, I have to go. College boy. What the fuck? You know, after seeing this one and specifically that last line. Oh, but here, I'm but so excited. That, but isn't that uh, isn't that such a rich ending? Doesn't that? Oh, absolutely. Didn't that kind of? I mean, like at, when when that hits you, didn't you like? Oh, like it kind of changes the movie. Well, no, bit. to me, it 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 uh, it is. It looks at what's happened honestly, whereas the U.S. versions look at it dishonestly. Do you follow what I'm saying? That it, it says out loud. Oh, I mean, they literally said out loud at the end of that movie exactly what I was feeling at the end of the other two. But I was going, why, why is the music so happy? What's going on here? Aren't there four graves? I don't know. Thank you. Please. I'll tell you another thing I loved. Um... I think it might have been the best line in the thing for me was Which thing? Uh, the, the seven samurai when the old, they go to see the old man say what we should do. He says, you should go hire samurai to protect the town and they mm-hmm. go samurai aren't going to work for, for farmers. What are you talking about? Now, when I saw it, I didn't realize there was a whole class system thing going on. And, but I, I get that. They're not going to work for farmers. What are you talking about? Um, all we can do is feed them. We can't pay them. And he says, you better find a hungry samurai. Hungry samurai. And to me, that's beautiful because uh, there's the obvious literal explanation of a hungry samurai. But what they needed was guys who were hungry, you know, uh, in their morally hungry. Not even for blood, but just for, for the decency to do something Ennobling. Um, Ennobling, yes. And so I loved that uh, that line there. There aren't a lot of... There are zero lines in either of the other two movies that I left going, oh, that's interesting. There might have been some good zingers or one-liners or something, but nothing that stayed with me like that. So when... um, Tashiro Mifune's character. Yes. When Pirates of the Caribbean came out, Uh-oh. I was fully prepared yes. to hear Johnny Depp say that he based his character <laughs> on Mifune in that movie. Because when oh I when I saw Pirates of the Caribbean, all I kept thinking was, oh my God, he's doing Mifune from Seven Samurai. That's <clears> hilarious. And then it turns out, no, his inspiration for that was Keith Richards, and that's why Keith Richards eventually... Came into play, Johnny Depp's dad. Right, right. No, but I, I understand. But away. I like. I, I really. I was. I really wanted him to be. To there be was, uh, channeling Mafune. In my experience, as I was going backwards through these movies, w- watching them in reverse chronological order, there is no performance in the um, in the current one that has any kind of a stylized vertness to it. They're all mm. this sort of basically this modern naturalistic style. If anybody right. was doing anything that might arguably be considered that, it would be Vincent D'Onofrio. But he's still basically within the, you know, fitting within the, the confines of what is sort of acceptable movie behavior. But in the 1960 version, <clears throat> an actor whose name I am going to have trouble remembering. Uh, can you imagine such a thing? Is this is hilarious? Oh, here we go. Is um playing that part you were just talking about? The he's basically the equivalent of 
Mufuni? Did I get that name right this time? Uh, yeah, Mufune. Okay, Mufune. Uh, so he's playing the Mufune part, essentially. The guy who's, who's the final edition, the seventh samurai yeah. in quotation marks. The goof that they take along. Exactly. Because they have to. And he's play, who's played by, the name of the character is Chico. So you can get a feeling for what his ancestry might be. The name of the actor was Horst Buchholz. Buchholz, yeah, sure. Yes, a German actor, not a Latino, um, doing an accent that I could not place, whether it was German or his attempt at being Chico. I don't know. And he was behaving like he was a silent film star. I mean, he was really aping some of that, some of that stuff that very stylized behavior from the other movie, but he was the only actor acting even remotely like that. So it just seemed, it seemed very insane. Um, but, and made no sense at the time that I saw it. I just thought, mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on here? Then I took one step further back in time and I went, he was actually like almost paying tribute in his performance. Uh. And and what's what seemed like hysterics actually made more sense. See, I never knew that they that they 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 transposed the individual characters over as well. I mean, they some of the personalities and, and many of those little beats. Yeah, uh, those beats where they're where they're getting rounded up, and even some of the stuff later, but not and so the new much. One too. And not so much the fighting. I would say the new one is more. Um, this is going to sound weird, but it, it feels like it's more beholden to the uh, 1960 Western than it is to the previous one. Although, Whichever for example, experience. the last shot is the four graves. It's just not a glorious shot like that. And even before that, that shot with the four graves, when they do the first grave, that was a great shot in the Seven Samurai, when you had the, the farmers with their spears on the on the edge of the picture and you had the samurai and then the one grave with the sword in it that was a gorgeous uh uh, still frame and i wish they hadn't shown the four graves until that very last shot when they had that line that i liked so much i feel like it would have given more power to that moment but um if we'd let uh, you know we could have thought that they were just looking at the graveyard for the town and not understood that above it was this other level of right, right. Um, that could have uh, been very impactful for me. But uh, I'm, I'm looking at Eli Wallach. I'm just laughing. He was just as god awful as you can imagine. Um, uh, other actors in this were uh, well. There's obviously Yul Brynner, Steve McQueen, uh, Charles Bronson. I thought he was in that. Absolutely. And he's in good shape. And he's, this is the Bronson I like. Not so much years later when he's a vigilante. But not, here. Right, and, not the Death Wish Bronson. Right. But here in like uh, uh, Stalag 17 or The Great Escape. <clears throat> um, and uh, J- James Coburn, I think I mentioned. And Robert Vaughn, who actually, you know what, was also doing something really kind of weird and exaggerated. And I think Ethan Hawke is doing that. I think he has, P- in the new one, it's clear that Ethan Hawke has PTSD. And I think that's what's going on for Robert Vaughn in this other movie. Uh, they just don't make it really clear. I think they're supposed to be um, from Civil War uh, heroes who are um, hmm. still coping with, with what they went, went through. 
Well, that's interesting. I yeah. mean, given that, you know, you, like you said, gunslingers weren't thought of as, like, rogue, wandering heroes. So giving them vet status and PTSD, that already... That already makes it a little interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, to tell you the truth. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll you give me a call once you come out of the theater, and we'll see how you feel. Um, you wait. <laughs> um, listen, I got a bag on a couple of things, or, or you know, this is all readily yep. available on the IMDb uh, trivia page, but specifically with regards to the 1960s version. Apparently, Yul Brenner had either intense level of input on the casting, or he might have had casting power. Um, and so uh, Steve McQueen was hired at his behest to play the second, you know, essentially the second samurai. Um, his... Now, if I may. Yes. It's interesting just to hear that, that at that stage of the game, that Gil Brenner would have gotten Steve McQueen hired and not the other way around. Uh, yes, I don't. I'd have to go back and do side by sides of their, you know, where they were and everything. But no, uh, I think Steve McQueen had not yet really. I think he was well known, but I don't think he had any power yet. Okay, that's that's very possible. Uh, and I'll tell you, it'll become clear later in this uh, this extended an anecdote. But okay. uh, apparently, uh, Steve McQueen was a, a bit of a dick, and so what he would do and this was now this is i think well known so I'm, I'm probably telling you one of these things where you go well yes of course and shame me for my trivia again but um he he uh missed no opportunity to upstage yule brenner in any scene or shot that they were in together and one of his big things was to remove his hat while steve while yule brenner had a should have focus Steve would be taking his hat off, and so your eye would be drawn to Steve. And in particular, there's a thing in the beginning where they're they're riding a. Um... Oh, remind me later to talk about the openings of these movies. Um, so they're they're riding um, what do you call that? A stagecoach, sort of a thing. And and he, Steve McQueen, they're strangers to each other, but he volunteers to ride shotgun on a hearse that they're trying to drive up a hill. And so as the shotgun, he wants to check the surroundings, takes off his hat to check the wind, apparently. I don't know how that works when you take your hat off to check the wind. But his business infuriated Yul Brenner that he was doing that. And apparently Yul Brenner even hired a guy to count the number of times he was taking his <laughs> hat off. Which is insane. And reportedly at some point Yul Brenner was like, if you, take, if you do that again... I'm going to take my hat off and leave it off, and no one will look at you for the rest of the picture because he's got that gorgeous bald head. That that's the ultimate upstage is his baldness. So I loved all of that, and apparently some of the other actors got into it. Another thing was um, Steve McQueen was six foot. Yul Brenner was half an inch shorter than he was, but apparently they had to put those little mounds of dirt everywhere so that when they were in two shots or whatever, that he would seem significantly taller, that's in quotation marks, significantly taller than Steve McQueen, that Yul Brenner always didn't seem bigger. Huh. So McQueen would go and kick the little mounds of dirt down after, they, after the shot and voice his opinion. Well, the, the whole thing ends where years later, Steve McQueen is either on his or near his deathbed, and the two of them uh, basically uh, patch things up. And, oh. he, and he says... Uh, he says, I wouldn't have had a career if it wasn't for you, so I, you know, I, should have, I should have been more respectful, and so on and so forth, which is sweet. But in the interim, 
That's why Steve McQueen is not in the second Magnificent Seven oh, movie. Oh, Yul Brynner is? Yul Brynner said, I will do it. When they came to him, he said, I'll absolutely do it. No, no Steve McQueen. Um, I could be wrong, but yes. my guess is taking off your hat to test the wind. Yes. I would guess that your hat, your head accumulates a lot of moisture when you're wearing a hat all day. Yeah. So it's the equivalent of putting your finger in your mouth and holding it up. You take your yeah. hat off and you're going to feel on your wet head right away where the wind's coming from. Yeah, I think you're probably I right. I guess. Um, uh, and just jumping back to what I was saying about the opening of yeah, the openings. movies. This, what's, this is sort of interesting to me was that um, both the 1960 and the 2016 version open with the marauders marauding. Okay. So it's not uncommon in the, for action. Seven type. Samurai does too. Not in the version I looked at today. In the version I looked at today, it starts with them up on the hill saying, this is the town whose rice we stole last year. We'll get their barley when it's ready, but we're not going to get them today. Yeah. That's not them actually going down and shooting a guy. Both the other two movies involve the Marauders killing a villager in the street in an opening scene. And so it's setting up, these bad people are going to come back. So now we have to take steps uh -huh. to prevent them coming back. And what I was reading today um, said that in an original or an earlier version of the script. For the 2016? No, for, uh, for Seven 16? Samurai. Okay. Seven Samurai. There was a scene with those bandits attacking a different town. Essentially just to establish... How bad, these, how guys bad are. these guys are. Um, so where I was going, oh, this is so amazing. Huh. Back then, they didn't feel the need to do that. I realized, actually, they did feel the need, but they talked themselves out of it. And they had, they had some discipline not to do it. But I, I just wondered how long it had been going on like that. Um, I was going to say, that's part of the 500-page draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But next to that, I'm sure they couldn't afford to shoot yet another scene because apparently they were wildly over budget. Um, but uh, the other piece of that is that in both the Americanized versions, the, the bandits are uh, personified or led by a particular individual who is identifiable and who can become the focus of uh, vengeance upon him. Whereas in the Seven Samurai, it was just this gang of guys, essentially. They had a leader, but he wasn't built up as... Oh, he wasn't built up, but he he is identified as sort of the head marauder, if I recall. Uh, who's the actor who played that? Yeah, you got me there. Case closed. What I mean is that it's not a character that is made into a thing. Whereas Eli Wallach, as the villainous Mexican, who gets 25 minutes of screen time that's just his, being that bad guy. And uh, who is it in this one? Skarsgård? Oh, yeah. What's his first name? I forget now. It's, uh, is it Peter or Stellan? Peter is playing uh, basically uh, he's playing a mine owner and he basically wants to run all the villagers out so he can take control of the whole valley and he can own everything, the, the underlying rights. So, and which is just sort of I don't need, it didn't make who, fuck, who the fuck cares? I watched that whole movie today. I didn't go, 
Once I didn't go, now why do these bandits want to take people's food and money? Why do they want to take their, their nice things? I didn't need an explanation. Oh, his parents are divorced. His father never smiled at him, so that's why he's a bandit. It doesn't fucking matter. He just wants what they have, and he doesn't care how he gets it. And it the rest the of it. the Wild West. Yes, exactly. People were bad dudes. They could or, be. Or the wild, you know, the, the wild. Because it was uh, fun. Feudal Japan. Um, right. Is where they don't have to do it. So uh, it bothers me that we have to go to all those lengths to uh, build up those little things. And even with that, neither of those movies had any kind of a, um, an emotional heft to them, I didn't think. Whereas True. I was in those, in that battle in Seven Samurais at the end, I was invested in much the way you're talking about, where every slash and every jab of a spear and, and all of that, it all counted. It all mattered. Yeah. Um... So, the power in its simplicity. Exactly. All right, this well, episode is wrapping itself up. I think. What What else did you have that you wanted to say? Uh, nothing really. The only thing really, I guess, is that um, okay. What western did I expect you to say was your favorite? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh. <laughs> um, why do you say that? Because it's. Goldman? Well, as a matter of fact, that was one of the reasons, yes. <laughs> but I think we've also talked about it once before, and I think you've said... I seem to recall you having an affinity for the, for the ending of that film, for that last shot, that freeze frame, and, and all that. But maybe uh, I'm wrong. Uh... I like the movie well enough. I don't feel like it deserves necessarily the level of exaltation it receives. Sure as hell does not. Um, I don't like know enough about the context. I have a feeling it was a very different kind of Western than the kind of Westerns that came before it, which is part oh, of it. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is that to its credit. Um, and... I, oh. Those guys are terrific. I think they're very charming and everything together, and there's pieces of it oh, I sure. like, but as a whole, I don't care for it, and I'm really not a fan of raindrops keep falling on my head. Me neither, but that it reminded me that's a question I wanted to ask you. So are there contemp is there contemporary are there contemporary songs in the new one? Oh, that's a good question. Is I, it all like Dukes of Hazard, Waylon Jennings, kind of um, <laughs> good old boys? You know, sadly, no? sadly. I can't even say. Just wait. I want to go back to Butch Cassidy, uh, and oh, shoot, it disappeared. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say about that now. Um, darn it! I don't remember about the music in the 2016 one, <laughs> whether there's okay. a contemporary song. But uh, I did read. I'm probably going to mangle this piece of trivia that. Um, I think that Elmer is it Elmer Bernstein who wrote the score, the, the original score for the, the original score, the American version. Yeah. Yes, I don't think he was the original composer. I think he backed his way into it somehow. There was some. Let me go find it. Uh, just talk I to can the good. Find it. Oh, you find it. You know everything. <clears throat> no, 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 no. But I, I, I happen to know of a site that. Oh, okay. Specifically talks about scores that were replaced. Oh, okay. At the last minute, with other like composers who were replaced with another composer and stuff like that, so I can. I got you. 
Give me a couple of minutes here. I'll find it. No worries. Um, so, but anyway. Oh, actually, I'm doing the wrong thing here. Hold on. You're you. You really got me down. Oh, Antoine Fuqua. Let me talk about him for a second, because talk even though I'm food. even though I'm sort of uh, being a little bit down on um, <clears throat> on this current film, I have to say that that I have a real soft spot for Training Day. Now, of course, it's got my my beloved uh, Denzel in it, so that should that part of it should come as no surprise. Um, but excuse me. Um, it also has Ethan Hawke, who I really this is true. who I really don't like, and yet in that film I enjoy a good deal. So um, I do give a, a thumbs thumbs up to that. I'm so so over my computers and their badness. Were you able to find something? I think I think I think your computer's over you. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, did you see anything like that? In your searches? Uh, no, I'm skimming something now, but now this fucking ad for Westworld <laughs> came on and jumped right. in front of it, and yes, I want to skip it. Pete, crap. Uh, I'd have to do a little looking into this. Okay, okay. Um, I might be able to come up with something. Oh, John Williams was a member of the orchestra. In 1960s. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay. That is kind of cool. According to John Sturgis' interview given in 1990 for the book John Sturgis' Stories of a Filmmaker, the music for the movie was, was to be composed by Dmitry Tiomkin. Tiomkin. Okay. But, but the director had a quarrel with his favorite composer uh, because Sturgis did not agree with a song during the opening credits uh, like in Gunfight in the OK Corral, Tiomkin was dismissed and replaced by Elmer Bernstein. And that's one of Bernstein's most famous themes. Yeah, yeah exactly. And not just his, but sort of like uh, iconic throughout, uh, you know. You oh, know. no, that, that's the yeah, score yeah. that Western scores emulated for years. Right. So that's kind of cool. I like that. Oh, and I've got one, yeah. last, one last piece of trivia. And then oh, I'm truly man. then I'm truly this done. Is, I was gonna say this is the Kurosawa version of tonight's show. <laughs> yes. Okay. Here's it. And then I swear we're done. There were many actors looked at for many different parts in this movie. Um, Which? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. The 1960s version, uh, the uh. We the western. <clears throat> and s certainly, Yul Brenner was a a, a major one. I, I think an earlier incarnation would have had someone like uh, Spencer Tracy in it. That, those kinds of guys. And I, okay. think, I think that could have been interesting. Um, but um, before Steve McQueen was finally cast, I think the studio did a round of people that they wanted to look at for the part of Vin, the sort of second, the second in command uh, samurai. And among mm -hmm. the actors that they looked at for that part before they finally caved in to Yul Brenner's demands on Steve McQueen, uh, one of the actors that they looked at was Gene Wilder. No. Yep. What? <clears throat> <laughs> I just, I was floored by that. 
I was floored by it. Man. And I have trouble uh, picturing what that would have been like. I really feel like Blazing Saddles is the Western he was meant to make. Oh, clearly you didn't see Frisco Kid. <laughs> Which I did actually see. But I can't, I cannot sort of picture this with him in it. I, I mean, I don't even know. Maybe, maybe Bullet. Instead of Steve McQueen, let's plug Gene Wilder. I mean, pick any Steve McQueen movie and put Gene Wilder in his part. I can't quite get there. But The Thomas Crown Affair. <laughs> very good, very good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us, for staying with us in this, we have this staying epic. Staying with us. Yes, our very own epic here. Um, uh, shows are getting longer progressively the last yeah. like three or four weeks you yeah, realize as the days are getting shorter as um, the right. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening this evening uh, for now and until next time the doctors are out <laughs> <laughs>